Hi everyone, welcome to the online Boundless Sermon series, which we've now transitioned to. Uh, I'm glad I can still preach to you from here. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, let me read you the text, then we'll pray, and then we'll go through the sermon. This will be a relatively short one, based on my week being the full-time caregiver of three kids. So here we go. We're going to start at Exodus 13, verse 17. Read a little bit from there till about 22, and then we'll jump to 14. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night before the people. Now we jump to chapter 14. First, I'll read 1 to 12, and then 39, or 29 to 31. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp at Pi-Hathoroth, or Hiaroth, between Middegol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zaphron, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the son, say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I, will, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, What is it we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So he made a chariot ready and took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Haroth, it's a hard one to say, in front of Beth or Baal-Zephron. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us into the wilderness to die? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So I didn't allude you to it, but we did jump there uh, to chapter 14. Uh, and now we're at the final few verses of chapter 14, making a big jump again. So this is after the people of Israel have gone through the, the waters of the Red Sea and, uh, and God has brought down the waters upon the people of Israel or the people of Egypt. And so now we read at the end of chapter 14, starting at verse 30. 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power of which the Lord had used against the Egyptian people, they feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So let me pray quickly, and then we'll jump into the sermon a bit. God, thank you that you connect us, not by the uh, intricacies of the internet, although today you've allowed that to happen, but by your spirit, we are connected to each other, even while distant. And Father, we know that we exist in a union with the Trinitarian love, uh, although we uh, are at some distance from uh, the throne room. And so God, would you keep us connected to yourself through your spirit and keep us connected to each other through your spirit as well. Thank you for the gifts of technology and the internet, which allow us to keep connected and which allow other people in this time of uh, anxiety and fear to be um, connected to each other. God, we just pray you'd calm our nerves and we would be affirmed of your power and your strength to overcome situations, and we would acknowledge your sovereign control in the world, uh, even in the midst of this tragedy and this difficult time. In your name, amen. So, hello uh, to you from an undisclosed location in Vancouver. Uh, I hope Jesus blesses us this morning with just a reaffirmation of where he's called us to and what he's calling us into, just not only as a community, but as individuals. So this morning, I first want to look at three things about how God is leading his people. First, I want to look at how he's led them away from something in the story of Egypt in the chapters we just read. Second, how he's led them, by what means he's led them. And then third, um, where he's leading them to. And then after I look at that, I want to look briefly at what it means for God to be honored in this narrative, and then finally, um, God's judgment of uh, that which we've depended on, or that which we've kind of grown into, that he's freeing us from. So anyways, we'll get to that. It'll make sense, I hope, by the end. And then I want to look at just quickly at what that means for us as Christians today, who follow Jesus. So the first point about, how, about God's leadership of the people here is that God led them away from the land of the Philistines. You remember at the beginning of chapter 13 where I started reading, it says, but don't lead them by the land of the Philistines. And the reason that's given is that the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God already knew that the people's heart was prone to drift back. We haven't used this yet, I don't think, because we've been in the belly of the beast. We've been dwelling in the story of the Israelites stuck in Egypt. There's a saying that kind of will express the next section of Exodus we're heading into. Although the people have left Egypt, Egypt has not left the people. There's still something in their hearts that pulls them back to wanting to go to Egypt. So God was aware of that. He specifically instructs Moses, take them around the area where there might be some war so they don't run back to Egypt. God knew that something needed to be done in their heart, not, not just geographically, not just geopolitically, but in the actual heart of the individual Israelites. And we see that coming up very quickly when they see Israel marching, or when they see Egypt marching toward them. They say, oh, why have you brought us out here? Verse 11 says, why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word we spoke to you 
while in Egypt saying, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. We don't read about that in the actual uh, narrative of Moses interacting with the Israelite leaders, but some people said to him, just leave us alone. We don't want anything to do with this plan of God to restore us. God knew their hearts. Now, later in the Egypt, or in the Israelite narrative, we'll find that Israel actually encounters the Philistines. And you can think of David especially as being the one who, not by his own strength, but by trusting in God's strength, encounters and overcomes the Philistines and Goliath. But again, he's trusting in God's power. So, But at this point in Israel's progression of trusting God, God's like, well, let's not take them in an area where they might see war because they might return to that source Pharaoh who has enslaved them, Egypt, which they've become so used to. So the first thing to note is that God leads the people away from certain things. He just knows they're not ready for that yet. Second, he led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day so that they had light of the night and guidance in the day. God's means of leading us and of leading Israel through the whole Old Testament vary quite often. And even in the Christian life today, they vary. But we see in this demonstration of God's leadership of Israel, the, the supernatural control God has of the order of, the, of creation. And so he utilizes that to demonstrate his leadership, not just through Moses, but through the whole created order. God is leading them out. The fire and the smoke pillar symbolizes first, um, it, it echoes back to Moses' calling uh, of the burning bush, but it also foreshadows not only Sinai, where God's presence comes down and gives the law, but also beyond that, God's coming uh, in Christ. Now, we don't have time to elaborate really on that, but it, it's this progressive movement of, of how God uses creation and engages creation to redeem and lead his people. And we might not be led today by a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke, um, although how cool would that be? Imagine being a marathon, I was thinking about it, imagine being a marathon runner and running through the forest and being guided by this fire and smoke. You'd never go the wrong way. There'd be no way to be misdirected. But God uses the fire and the smoke both to show his sovereign power and his guidance and control over the created universe and to give comfort to the people. So he leads them away from the land of the Philistines. He leads them by um, utilizing his power over creation. And then he does something which for me is the most striking. He leads them back. So they've been traveling for a while. They've been on this journey. I think it's about two months since they kind of left Egypt and they're moving about trying to figure out where to go. And then they get to this moment of tension where God has led them so far. But then he says to Moses, bring the people back to somewhere they've already passed by to encamp there. So he leads them back to Ha'eroth between Mignagol and the sea. I find this reversal so fascinating and confronting. I don't know where they were geographically when God said to Moses, move them back. But I imagine they were in a place where the tension was less severe, less uh, real. So they almost, he almost moves them back into a place where they're confronted with a choice when they see the Egyptians coming. They have the Egyptians coming from one side and on the other side, the sea, which is a representation of chaos for the Israelite people. 
So God leads them away from war on one hand, away from war with the Philistines, but he puts them in direct conflict with the Egyptians who he just moved them out of their land. And I don't know if that strikes you. I don't know if that's ever struck you when reading the narrative before, but it, it really strikes me that what God does in leading his people is puts them in a direct conflict between the thing that they once found security in and chaos and having to trust Jesus or having to trust the Lord in this case to overcome one of those things. And the response of the people is, as you know, as we've read already, is like, why have you done this? Why have you brought us out into this place? Now we're going to die. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the wilderness to die? God hardens Pharaoh's heart again. And the people are confronted with that fact. And I think, we'll cover it later, but I really want to emphasize it now. I think it's the most important thing about this. What we once trusted in eventually becomes our enemy. When we transition into a loving, trusting relationship with Jesus, we might find that the thing we used to find comfort in, security in, even if it was enslaving us, Jesus puts us in opposition against it. So here the people are, having been led by God, by means of his supernatural power, he leads them away from war, but he leads them into direct conflict with the Egyptians with the only other option being to trust him to overcome the chaos of the sea. And I really quickly want to cover something else. God says, like, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, which we've been following in the narrative, but I'm also going to be honored. I'm going to use the Egyptians and Pharaoh as a means to bring myself honor. And so everything according to the biblical perspective will in the end honor or bow before the Lord. And so we, Israel has to choose. Will we trust him? Will we trust God? And, and Egypt has not done that. They've said, we're just going to push right on through. We're going to try to take power that's not been given to us. And so God confronts them with their own judgment. Pharaoh and Egypt are ultimately judged by God at this moment. And God is given glory and honor through his victory that he attains for Israel by bringing them through the Red Sea. So this is what happens. And you know the narrative well. That which once enslaved them has now been cast into the sea. Pharaoh tries to pursue the people as God opens up the Red Sea and Israel walks through. And as soon as Israel gets to the other side, the water falls upon the people of Egypt and crushes them. And so we read this from the end of chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When, the Is when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. God judges Egypt. And in doing so, God also judges the reliance of the Egyptian heart on Pharaoh and on the Egyptian structure of slavery. This isn't the last time they say, why can't we go back to Egypt? But God has dealt his final judgment in this narrative. 
to wipe out the armies of Egypt. And so here is this development of God's leadership of his people by fire and smoke, leading them away from war, but into direct conflict with that which they used to live in and a new life of trusting him to lead them through the chaos. So I want to talk just briefly to conclude really about the definitive and decisive authority of Jesus to lead our lives in the modern day world of 2020 Canadian life or wherever you might live. This is available to you anywhere in the world where there's internet, if it gets there. So we can affirm this, that Jesus leads us, that Jesus will be honored and have all the glory, and that Jesus is the final and true judge of the whole world. You've probably learned this week about uh, just how anxious our culture is. Maybe you already knew that, maybe you already recognized uh, that we live in an age of anxiety. Um, but the hoarding, the, the uncertainty around the supplies of toilet paper, or anything else for that matter, um, has really come out in the past week. I went to Costco last week on Friday, and it was just nuts. But I saw so many people actually being kind, generous, and gracious in this time. But I want us to know as Christians that, listen, Jesus is, is just wanting to provide for us and, and wanting us to provide for other people. So we live in a world where maybe there isn't a pharaoh, there isn't an easily identifiable superpower that's oppressing us uh, as individuals or as people. But there are things in our own life which enslave us, which we've trusted in, and which Jesus is in the process of freeing us from, of leading us out of. So what I really want to affirm this morning is God's work on the cross and God's work specifically of giving us the spirit allows us to live in a new freedom. And that does not mean that we're totally free of everything that might entangle us, every sin that might rear its head every once in a while. But it means that we're learning to trust in a greater authority, in a greater source. Jesus is inviting us by the Spirit to let go of the things we once found comfort in. I think a lot about the story, and especially recently as I've been working through this text this week. When Jesus in John chapter 6 has been speaking to the religious leaders and his disciples about who he is, about his authority. And eventually he starts saying things that become really contentious, that put him at odds, in direct odds, in direct conflict with the religious system of the time. And the text says, many of his disciples, this is John chapter 6, starting at verse 56, says many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, It's a really powerful thing. Jesus says things that challenge and put us in conflict with the authority that exists, the things we've trusted in. And we have to decide, will we trust in him even when it creates a strong conflict or tension? Or will we go back to whatever way of life we used to live? 
Please continue to trust in him. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go aside also? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This morning, I really just want to say this. Listen, God in the Old Testament leads his people Israel. And in this specific story from Exodus 13 and 14, God does so by a pillar of fire by night and pillar of cloud by day. And he leads them into direct conflict with the Egyptians in chaos. And they have to trust him to get them through the chaos. They have to go through almost a baptism to be reborn as his people. We have the same journey as Christians in the modern world to leave behind that which we trusted and stick close to following Jesus. He is our pillar of fire and smoke, but he dwells within us, not outside of us. He guides our heart in ways to live self-sacrificially and generously in the world. And when in the end, all the things we trusted in on this earth are judged, would we be the ones who say we've trusted in Jesus? We've been thankful for what he's given us, what we've had. But would there be no place for a dual dependency in our life? And would we be solely entrusted to him? Even if what it means is trusting him through the impossible situation of walking through chaos. So I don't know if you're worried right now about what's going on in the world or anxious about something else. But um, my prayer this morning is that we would affirm as Peter did and as the Egyptians saw in the power of you, Father, to overcome sin, to overcome death, to overcome those things that we think are enough to save us, and we would be uh, filled up by your gracious power to overcome. God, I trust the next week into your hands. Uh, I just, I just, we just really want to surrender that. I want to surrender that. It might mean another week of just being full-time into caregiving. But God, would you just be glorified in every day and in every way possible? Would you speak to each one of us? Would you remind us of your honor, the honor you'll be given, uh, the praise you'll be given, the judgment you will uh, judge the world with? and the power you have to lead us. Amen. Bless you wherever you are, whatever you're up to. Uh, you have the support of my family in Boundless Vancouver. If you need anything, please reach out. Um, I hope to see you in person soon. Uh, take good care and bless you.